0: welcome to this week's episode of shitty christians i'm your host michael tabor i'm zachary allard and we have a pretty special episode for you today i'm excited yeah it's Pretty cool. We're going to have our first guest on the program. Oh, thank God.
1: I just, I've been waiting for this. Somebody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah,
0: see, I wasn't as into that. That that was a little demeaning for me to be around somebody with actual thoughts and knowledge.
1: I'm excited for our listeners to have one good episode. All right. It, it was time.
0: So why don't you tell our listeners who we are going to be joined by? So we're
1: going to have Kelsey Lair on. She's a writer and professor. She has worked uh, as a ranger in Yosemite National Park for 12 summers. And her writing has appeared in numerous publications, including Goldman Review, Greenbrier Review, St. Catherine. It's been nominated for Pushcart Prize, as well as inclusion in America's Best Science and Nature Writing. And we are going to be talking to her about a forthcoming article in Slate. And that article is about her life in Yosemite and watching climate change affect giant sequoias.
0: Yeah, it was a really fascinating thing to be able to dive into. We're going to be talking a little bit about Christian environmentalism Mm -hmm. in general and also about her upbringing in a fundamentalist Baptist church, which if you thought (laughs) our childhoods were crazy, strap in. Before we get to that, Zachary, I have one very important question for you. Okay. Could you tell me, who the
1: fuck is
2: Pete Buttigieg?
1: (laughs) Pete Buttigieg was the mayor of South and Indiana. He was a troop. He's Uh a gay gentleman. He speaks approximately three hundred languages fluently. He
0: had a great book list. That's the one nice thing I'm gonna say about this dude this whole episode is that he I put mean, out his list of his I, top books. I, and just, I
1: I refuse to believe he read them. Here's the thing I think I think he just read the New York Times book review and was like this is diverse because uh, that's how Pete fucking thinks.
0: That might be true. I'm going to take it one step further. He read those seminal works like My Name is Red, <laughs> books yeah. that legitimately mm. changed my life and your life. Totally. And he got exactly nothing out of them. <laughs> but he read them so no. he could put he them on the get resume. He nothing
1: out of them. He got the ability to show that he was intelligent.
0: So unfortunately, we have to talk about Pete Buttigieg. I
1: thought he was dead.
0: Uh, he was supposed to be. He was pulling consistently like fourth, fifth I in, know. in Iowa. And then all of a sudden he came out and – did not win. Let's be clear about that up front. <laughs> Did not win Iowa, but he successfully managed to come in a very close second and get all of the bump for winning Iowa. Yeah. Uh so now we have to talk about who this guy is. But you know what? I'm kind of excited because hey, this is a podcast about Christians, and Pete's a Christian.
1: It should be on some level on paper. It's 2020. It should be exciting. I would love to support a gay Christian for president. Heck yeah. That would be amazing. Here's the thing: Pete is, for all intents and purposes, a young Republican. That's not a smear. That's not me being cute or mean. I could say lots of other mean things, but yeah, Twitter's And, and that. people have. People yeah. are. Continue, they're gonna, they're gonna going to handle that side of it. He was a troop briefly, and it seems to be just for juicing his career. And then yeah. after being a troop, he worked for something called McKinsey. Ooh, tell me about McKinsey. Here's the thing with McKinsey. Yeah. Just as a brief intro for those of you who aren't familiar, many of you probably are at this point, McKinsey's a consulting firm firm that has been around since the 1920s. There was an Atlantic article recently that basically said McKinsey might be more responsible than any other company for the suppression of wages in the middle class in the 20th century but while pete was there mckinsey was involved in a scandal in canada for fixing bread prices they were part of the skullduggery at enron A mckinsey consultant went to jail which is wild <laughs> yeah. they pro- helped they work with ice and they proposed to ice they cut food for immigrants yes that, are that in was their care. that was
0: something that came out too yeah. uh and then Pete worked for them and for a long time was like, oh, I can't talk about anything I did oh, with them. Oh, amazing. Uh, because I'm, I'm under NDA. I, ha- I have, I
1: can't, you know, the paperwork is just, it's so difficult.
0: Yeah, it's just so hard when I'm running for president to be able to talk about my resume. What I
1: love about that is it's Trump's tax returns all over again. <laughs> it is. It's a which...
0: Republican thing. So Pete Buttigieg, also the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um every person of color in that city hates him
1: and <laughs> if, if we you could do have one every thing every single person of color from South Bend on our podcast yeah I
0: would do it like, you can find some great clips of Pete <laughs> just being the most awkward around oh, people that are Very righteously angry with him.
1: Pete correctly has never met a black woman who wasn't yelling at him for the right reasons.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, Shout outs to every single one of them. Good for you. Three weeks into his term as mayor, Mm -hmm. fired the popular black police chief of South Bend, Indiana. Oh, no. Because that man had recorded other police officers being racist and okay. saying racist things inside right. the precinct. Mm-hmm. So this guy was being a whistleblower, but yep. because he technically broke the rules regarding recording other officers, right.
1: he was fired. It's the most lip shit I've ever heard. Yeah, this, this... Rules above goodness will be like the DNC motto. Forever. Well, I mean... Yeah, I know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Use the rules to never have to do any goodness, for sure.
1: <laughs> so, Pete,
0: not not great with race relations. No. Not great with his background. Mm-hmm. Again, military and McKinsey is just like Ooh, that is a, a bad really combat. rough one, too.
1: One of those kills a lot of people, and one of them is the military. You know uh, what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> also
0: not great, his actual policies. Talk about that a They're
1: little bit. They're all bad. He doesn't support Medicare for all. Medicare he for all who that. want it. When you read his plan, it has heavily punitive taxes for not being involved in it if you don't have health care, like $7,000 a year. He's a hawk on foreign policy. He believes we should drone countries that are just and constantly continue to murk people overseas which is working out great for us right now
0: yeah yeah no issues he, in our eternal war he
1: want, he's a big deficit hawk you know he's oh, yeah. point, he's which is straight out up a right-wing talking oh, it's a, it's point. A, it's like
0: a, it, anytime you hear someone talk about the deficit just know what they're talking about is cutting social service yeah, every time they're every not time. talking about cutting military they're yeah. not talking about cutting our endless wars. they're talking about cutting social security and medicare and that is what what the deficit means
1: no i mean he is for all intents and purposes a moderate republican also his financing not great so he has 40 billionaires yeah more billionaires have given him money percentage-wise than people even support him of color yeah
0: he got he like, got yeah literally like six <laughs> percent of all
1: billionaires in america have just been like we should give this bright young man some money he's a human ipo
0: he really is and it, it i think you know there have been a lot of this has been a flashpoint sort of in the yeah. wake of Iowa, which we're mm-hmm. about to get to, is like, oh, well, why do you care so much? I mean, you know, th- most of them are just giving the, like, personal
1: amount. Like, he's, he's no longer taking super PAC money. Well, uh, he's taken money from billionaires. 14 of them work in finance and investments, So that should tell you right up front how he is going to regulate Wall Street. Most interestingly, uh, Glenn Dubin, who is a finance guy. Also, very close friends on the record with Jeffrey Epstein. Oh boy. There's a great thread um, from TrueAnon on Twitter about it, but from what and a great article in Vanity Fair. But essentially, Glenn Dubin has been credibly accused of rape. Several of Jeffrey Epstein's accusers have pointed to him. He's been credibly accused by his own staff of human trafficking, an underage Swedish girl. And he is known to have been on Les Wexner's yacht, Jeffrey Epstein's plane. And that is a Pete Buttigieg supporter. In fact, I think it's your typical Pete Buttigieg supporter. He is a bad candidate. He's not even a lib. He he doesn't even rise to the level of lib and I fucking hate
2: libs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I think it's important to say that like he put all of his money and effort and time and energy into Iowa because he knew that was his only path to relevance, Mm -hmm. uh, which is why I think this probably isn't going to work out for him in the long run, but he certainly had a very strong showing. Let's get to monday night shall we this is genuine if you have already been following this like all week like you don't need to hear we're just going to sort of walk people through it this is for people that have been blessedly ignorant of this horrible (laughs) process and they're like what are you talking about people in iowa i don't understand what the big deal is and we're we're here to like like rant and rave uh for another t- 15 minutes or so about that so monday night usually in previous mm-hmm. years you would expect to get those results around eight or nine
1: p. yeah i mean we well, knew who the president was the night of yeah like when trump is, won his sixteen, new. it's not hard
0: very very quickly it became clear that something was wrong mm-hmm. and as it turns out there was an app <laughs> there's an app, app for that there was an app and that app was causing some problems uh now okay. i'm going to defer to one austin walker here okay uh, incompetence and rat fucking aren't different when they have the same result uh and i think that's certainly something that we see with this whole thing like was there incompetence absolutely is there possibly malicious intent i probably uh especially given what's happened after the fact
2: hey 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 hey
0: anybody could have
1: flown on that plane
0: (laughs) So we very quickly realize that the app is having issues. They, they've been calling this information in for literally the last 20 years. Mm. Everyone's like, yeah, the app's not working. I guess I'll just call it in. They're waiting on hold for hours. No one's picking up. We get to the next morning, zero results released.
1: Incredible stuff.
0: So Pete Buttigieg hops on a stage and declares victory.
1: I think that is such a telling moment.
0: I think it's a, actually a really important moment. Yeah. Like Because what Sanders did was mm-hmm. he released the information he had yep. that showed him in the lead, but he didn't say, I won. He said, my people worked too hard for this and for the work that we've done to not let mm-hmm. anyone have anything. So here's what we've got. Pete Buttigieg goes and declares himself victor. Immediately picked up by, like, every outlet. Uh, later that day, Iowa Democratic uh, Convention mm-hmm. releases their first batch.
1: <laughs> like, 62%? Of
0: 62% like, of the votes.
1: Fuck off, why? Why is 62% better than zero or 100? And, and
0: this is maybe one of the major points, is that this is where I think it goes from a problem happened and there was mm-hmm. some incompetence mm-hmm. to, like, somebody is tilting the scales. Because why do you put out 62%? right that shows one candidate in the lead when you know it's about to get a lot more complicated than that. Uh, And then specifically, how are you able to get 62% out in a day? And then we still don't have all of the information, despite what the New York Times Mm -hmm. is telling you, which was reporting 100%. There are still places we don't have, and there are tons of errors in that information. Like, this is not finished as of this recording on Sunday night. So Pete comes out and declares victory, Mm -hmm. and then the results just trickle. For days it's
1: i have to say i have to be honest it's extremely strange it well yeah and of historically it unprecedented is. and i don't under. i mean how else is there to read it like I, I, is there is there another way to read it other than rat fuckery
0: i personally don't think so i think that if you look at this app got introduced days before with no adequate training yeah. to a bunch of 70-year-olds that run caucuses <laughs> that were, like, even downloading the app, they had to go through, like, security mm-hmm. checks and be warned that it might be a virus. Like, there was just <laughs> – if you go to Motherboard, they got the app. Oh, And they've interesting. been doing some great reporting on just, like, what a mess that was from the start. Also, Pete Buttigieg helped fund the damn thing. That
1: is so staggering that you could have a candidate who yeah. be – judged using the app pay for the app regardless of whether it meant anything it should not exist regardless of how it worked out no should not be allowed
0: but i mean we've already seen how much the democratic convention is willing to like play ball they're they're gonna let bloomberg on the stage for the next debate for no other reason than the eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars he's donated to them after days and days and days of pete for the record being up several points yeah
1: no like a full as they release these
0: and one of the big things is there was no transparency about where the results were coming from nope. why they were these specific mm-hmm. sections people were pointing out like hey sanders heavy areas have still not been reported and we're getting into the 90s now and it turns out that they are 0.1 yep. percent
2: apart mm-hmm.
0: and that 0.1 percent is not actually reflective of the votes.
1: That's what's staggering. It's reflective of like
0: SDEs. SDEs, which are fictional. Let's okay. just be clear. <laughs> so an SDE is just the way that they calculate how many state representatives mm-hmm. are going to go and pledge the actual delegates that matter at the state convention. They're, they, they aren't functionally real. And then also... Uh, the actual votes bernie got six thousand more in the first count yes and we're not going to get into all the things about caucusing but basically <laughs> you pick a side and if your side doesn't have enough people to be viable you get to pick another side yes. he still stayed up 2700 votes yeah. in the second count No, he, he has like, the most votes yeah and in a like six six or eight way contest mm. that is absurd like yeah. that's not insignificant no you're, of course you're only talking about i think one hundred eighty thousand votes across the whole state totally. um because again so we, we can talk about how evil caucusing is
1: yeah. so he's a couple percentage points up on Pete in terms of raw votes. In terms, which of raw- by the way, one vote should probably. Be how it works yeah there was person. an incredible
0: uh video of pete talking a couple of years back about another election in which popular votes ended up not mattering so much <laughs> uh where he was like well you know i think the person who got the most votes should win he says before he immediately claims victory with zero percent of precincts reporting
1: that is like all you need to know about pete yeah pete, pete has no belief other than his own will to power and and yeah
0: and it and it's worked i think it needs yeah. to be said so this whole it's thing working. if you're asking yep. what our perspective on this is or at least mine yeah you go for uh, it They were very canny about how they released this. If you want more proof that the Iowa Democratic Convention uh, Party is not operating in good faith, an internal email got leaked this morning, Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. and that memo said, hey— we're not correcting bad math. You can follow Taniel on Twitter, okay. T-A-N-I-E-L. He's been doing nonstop work finding these inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. It's great. He's pointing out there are dozens of precincts that either claim more delegates than they were supposed to, calculated their math wrong, places where precincts clearly have the wrong information. It was duplicated from another precinct. So you have two oh. precincts getting the exact same reports, which is clearly false. Right. No, exactly. Uh, it's like
1: copying a test. And so
0: the lawyer says and this is like this is the rule the this, DNC, is not, the, this is not this is not him a making lawyer. a case in law yeah. uh this is this is yeah the iowa democratic party lawyer internal memo saying hey as long as it's on the worksheet even if it's wrong we're not correcting it because that's important to the integrity of this process The crime is important to the integrity. I mean, at that point, you are literally allowing crime because certainly there's going to be some people (laughs) that, if they think, if they know they can get away with it, are just going to add one. Like, what are you talking about? The integrity of the process would be getting it right, but clearly that's off the table. And what's amazing is that, frankly, one. Pete was man- managed to spike the Des Moines Register poll that came out the we- was supposed that to come out like, the man, weekend before. He, I
1: will say this, maybe he'll be competent at being <laughs> yeah,
2: evil yeah, president.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, which is, by the way, the whole complaint about that is one of their pollsters, mm-hmm. who was an elderly gentleman, had the screen zoomed in a little too much on his screen. So he may not, on a couple of calls, mentioned Pete's name because he was too zoomed in yep. when he was reading out the candidates. One guy zoomed in handful of calls maybe they were only able to verify one tanked the whole poll that poll by the way showed sanders in the lead and has been in every election previously a very good indicator who ends up taking the state Mm -hmm. so it was an important thing i mean cnn was going to dedicate an hour to it and that got spiked minutes before then uh just as bernie starts to close the gap and Gets Mm -hmm. to that point one part, and right before he gets the stage to say, Hey, I won because he did. Yeah. uh, Tom Perez, the president of the Democratic National Convention, hops on Twitter to demand a recount of the whole thing. They spiked Iowa. I know. The whole state of Iowa.
1: The entire state. And we had to retire it to a farm up state. There's no more Iowa now. Are you happy,
0: Democrats? I I, I frankly would be happy at this point. I'm so done with freaking (laughs) Iowa.
1: I've been struggling to care that Bernie won.
0: To be honest. Yeah, it's you know, hard like, because on some level you want to be like, hey, we did it. We right. actually did it. We should be celebrating right now. Right. They don't get to take that from us. But also, but Bernie's kinda, not the one that's surging in the polls like Pete is. Yeah, and but they kind of
1: did take that. They did. Because Pete has more delegates. So, Bernie can't win moral victories. No. He can't win moral victories. He has to, And he can't win near ties. And all of the media basically said Pete won. Oh, The yeah. narrative is Pete won. Pete is winning. And then Pete got an enormous bounce in New Hampshire. And, and my theory is that it's, just, it's
0: not going to be enough for him to take New Hampshire and that those polls aren't very representative because they're intentionally choosing polls that skew older, yeah. which older is always better for Pete because he is functionally a 70-year-old
1: man. I don't know. I, I still don't – I just don't feel very good about Iowa. I don't feel like Bernie won, and I know that that's intentional and that we can still take this thing. We are going to take this but thing. But I, I – I, you know, I, I think they won this round. They I did. do. I, I feel like they won this round, and this is a very important round.
0: So here, here's the thing. I agree with you. They got everything they needed out of it. They got the media coverage. The media immediately pivots off oh, Biden yeah. on on to oh, yeah. Buttigieg. We need all, po- all
1: points out for Biden. Like I don't know where he is. Yeah, I think he's right? in the wind. Yeah. I I, I hear he he's called... in the
0: mountains with Hillary now.
1: Poor Biden. Yeah. Like, I why know. would you like? Listen, I don't hate Biden that much. Why would you do that mm-hmm. to him?
0: And it was amazing to watch how quickly the yeah. whole machine of uh, mainstream news mm-hmm. of, of Pro-democracy and pro-capitalism news, as the New York Times editorial board calls it, was able to pivot so quickly to like, no, 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 Pete's our guy. Like, we got him. We got him.
1: We, are, we were always on Pete. Look at our endorsements. It's just all, it's both Pete Buttigieg's <laughs> yeah. are the ones we're supporting, the progressive one and the moderate yep. one. So
0: I think you're right to say, honestly, honestly, the, the, and if you're wondering who we say when we say they, we're talking about the Democratic National Convention. Yep, the committee. Uh, Tom Perez uh, very specifically has mm-hmm. gone on record about how much he hates uh, Bernie Sanders. He's and a how, Clintonista. Yeah, he, and, and Clinton actually Bought operating power of the DNC in 2015. Yeah. Uh, you can find out your own information on that.
1: And, but- and the Clinton and the Clinton people funded Shadow. Oh yeah. By the way, the name, the people that made the app shadow incorporated shadow incorporated <laughs> Incredible. i feel like you can't make this up it's like uh,
0: it's so upsetting it it is it's like a bad sci-fi film really we're just though. like and this guy's name is evil McBadface. like <laughs> it's reached a level of parody particularly when you have a lawyer saying no we have to keep the mistakes because integrity like it's it's beyond the knife has
1: to stay in the victim <laughs> yeah.
0: for integrity but here's the thing here 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 are my causes for hope pete his whole plan this whole time was Iowa and he worked really hard and spent all of his money in Iowa. He does not have a ground game in New Hampshire. He doesn't have a ground game in later States. Mm -hmm. Pete is banking on establishment coming up behind him. And so far they are, but they have a lot of ground to make up Mm -hmm. very quickly. Yeah. Second, New Hampshire is not a caucus state. Uh, caucuses, as it turns out, good for Pete for a lot of reasons. (laughs) Uh, but, In New Hampshire, if you vote for Bernie, that vote counts for Bernie, and there's never gonna be a situation in which it gets taken away unless this whole thing is somehow even more rigged than it clearly (laughs) already is. We'll probably Um, find
1: out. They're not very smart. Three, I think it does
0: actually matter what a clusterfuck this was in the sense that Mm -hmm. it reveals to people that maybe think of the Democrats as your friends. Like if you think like, oh, the Democrats are the good guys, Mm -hmm. like the Democrats are the ones that are fighting for the right thing, like this is the face of the Democratic Party.
1: No, it really is.
0: And it needs to be said, like Bernie Sanders, there's a reason he was an independent. They like to try to pillory him with that. Oh, that's such like, a... oh, he, he hasn't been a Democrat that long. Yeah. Cause of shit like this. It's of because the, the DNC and Democrats in general have a corruption problem. Oh yeah. And so this is the chance. They can do two things. They can either accept the fact that Bernie's going to come in and make some damn changes, mm-hmm. or we can acknowledge the fact that we live in a system in which we have two political parties that are trying to hurt us. Uh, and at that point, we'd start making other decisions about how we spend our time and energy. And for the record, minorities agree with that. Yeah, we have. <laughs> 47% of the minority population of Iowa voted for Bernie Sanders. He did huge Huge numbers with people that were, you know, uh, immigrant populations working in like meatpacking districts. Yep. And he fought to get caucuses in those places so that they could have a voice. So they could do a caucus in between shift changes. So actual working people would be able to vote and not just people who can pay for babysitters and pay to mm-hmm. take a night off and do this thing and not have to worry about the shift they're losing to make it happen. That's and really, I'm not speaking for really all minorities inspiring. there. But th- let those folks speak for themselves. And so much of the satellite caucus shit got thrown under the rug totally. because they called the race before it mattered. And those people who took the time and energy to vote for the person they think would serve them best didn't get heard. Also, I think that is going to be a problem for Pete down the line because he...
1: I hope so. Uh,
0: let's bring it home. We haven't actually talked that much about Bernie Sanders on our podcast. We've joked about being him being our first Christian president. But what's, what's your pitch on Bernie, Zach? Like, why is he your guy?
1: You know, the truth is, I think Bernie is not just the best person. You know, I think that's often why some people support Pete. They like who he is. They like his book list. Mm -hmm. I like who Bernie is. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. What matters is that Bernie has the plans, frankly, to help the most people in this country. He wants to abolish ICE. He wants to have a single-payer system where medical care is free at point of service.
0: Yep. You can walk into a doctor's office without worrying about your credit card statement. He
1: doesn't. Like, he has talked to literally thousands, maybe more, of people who are dying because they can't afford their medical care he wants to stop the war machine he wants to end our meddling abroad he wants to repair relationships internationally he wants to stop bombing random people in poor countries bernie wants to abolish ice for fuck's sake he wants to. he will on day one of presidency say what you will about bernie on day one he will get rid of children in cages on top of that, the thing about his personal character that is relevant is for 40 fucking years, he has said the exact same things. Oh man, in and they love to try to burn him for in it. The, in 1988, he was campaigning for Jesse Jackson, a black dude, as part of his Rainbow Coalition. He created LGBT spaces in Burlington, fucking Vermont. <laughs> yeah. He, in the 80s. In the 80s. In the 1980s. Obama in 2008 was against gay marriage. Yep. Bernie was pro-gay rights in the 80s when it was not cool. And there's not a single political party that gave a shit. And so Bernie has been running on all of the things he's currently running on that are super popular that the DNC has basically admitted the entire 2020 batch of candidates stole so much of. Absolutely. Bernie has been doing since the early
0: 80s. Yeah, and the fact that anyone would even claim a Medicare for all position is because of Bernie's 2016 campaign. Much more importantly, Mm -hmm. it's not actually Bernie single-handedly because he's the only guy that doesn't promise you this shit on election day. Mm -hmm. What he promises you is a chance to continue this fight. Yeah. And the movement that he is trying to build extends so far beyond every other politician that's telling you, Hey man, just cast a vote on November 4th. And then I got this. And Bernie knows he's walking into a Senate that's going to be Republican controlled. He knows the issues that we're going to face on, uh, with his candidacy but you know what he doesn't do before the fight starts Mm -hmm. is stinking compromise yeah the man's been sticking to his guns and forcing other people to come to him uh, and meet him where he's at for 40 years of his campaign and we need somebody that's actually going to fight for us last thing i'm going to say about bernie reasons i love him he is the only candidate that gets billionaires right oh yes Uh, and this is you know this goes back to sort of our christian roots of just being like what, is, what does Jesus say to the rich man? Give it away. Yep. Um, what do we say to the rich man? We're going to fucking eat you. Uh, our very We're not first as good episode, as Jesus. That's okay. Our very first episode, <laughs> we talked about billionaires owning mountains. Like we are actually being eaten by the rich and we could end global starvation. We could end oh, yeah. homelessness. Uh, homelessness. We could do that all with not even a lot of their money. Bernie's solution for that is by far the easiest option. So we should all get on board with a wealth tax because people are dying in the streets. So if I could try to bring this all back around, uh, I think in many ways you can boil this whole election down to a really simple question. Uh, Just do you think America needs fundamental change or do you think it needs to be tweaked? Like, if you look at capitalism in the world today and think, ah, you know, it just needs a little more regulation or some more women CEOs and that's going to be great. Like, then honestly, Pete might be your guy. But if you see the same rampant systemic injustice that we talk about week in and week out on this stupid podcast uh, and you want that shit to change, uh, then Bernie is your candidate because he's the only one who cares and if Iowa has shown us anything, it is that the gloves are off, and there are people that are ready to lie and cheat and steal their way into this election, and if that pisses you off, then it is time to get in the fight, because it's going to be a fight all the way down the line. So, with that said, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be speaking with Kelsey Blair. back
1: and we are joined today by our very first guest this is super exciting uh yeah i'm really excited akhmedina (laughs) jod (laughs) welcome thank you so much
3: uh
1: you do not sound how i expected but your english is
3: flawless well that's the beauty of the radio
1: (laughs) (laughs) we are joined today by the illustrious kelsey lair kelsey is a writer christian academic She's been all over the place, but she has a piece forthcoming in Slate. Kelsey, welcome.
3: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: Happy to have you. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about Christian environmentalism today. We've got a few different things and to And other mythical that. beasts. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> uh, but first, Kelsey, let's get to know you a little bit.
1: So Michael and I grew up evangelical, predominantly in the South, SBC churches, my dad was all over the place. But mostly not in the fundamentalist loop. There was some overlap. Sometimes we were in him only churches, things oh, like wow. that. Uh, not very frequently though. See, we were we were the cool
0: church. We had the electric guitar with the solos. That was that was a big <laughs> deal. Not just having the electric guitar, but we let that dude rip.
1: So was there a drummer in a cage?
0: Yes. So we did have the clear, <laughs> oh man, this is going to, no one's going to understand this, but uh, it is such a church thing. <laughs> if you are in a, I would say a mid-level church, what they do is they have a drummer, but they keep him separate and he's behind a little flexiglass thing. And that's so that you can have the drums, but not too much drums. Too well, much drums is satanic. That's what John MacArthur taught us.
3: Kelsey, how did you grow up? You, what kind of churches were you in? I was in one church and one church only.
0: Wow. Solid
3: in here in california uh, uh on the central coast which is a pretty conservative part of the state okay and i grew up in a regular baptist church so i'm not that familiar yeah,
1: with regular what? <laughs> what regular one of those regular when, when you have to add the regular part
0: it makes me think that you
2: might be up to something better than the irregular baptist
3: well, let me tell you yeah the,
1: uh, the reasonableist some parks yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> like believe the world is going to add
2: <laughs>
3: So, regular Baptist is a denomination. It is... My church was part of the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches.
1: So many words that don't mean anything.
3: We call it (laughs) GARB. General (laughs) Association of Regular Baptists. GARB. So, uh, regular Baptists are a little bit different from probably Southern Baptist and a lot of other denominations because they are... Not even so much evangelical but but like truly fundamentalist.
0: Oh interesting interesting uh, delineate the difference for our dear listeners
1: that may not be familiar yeah for all the atheists that laugh at us
3: yeah. Well, so I'm actually reading a book right now by Doug Frank called The Gentler God that lays out all of this. So this is all coming from him, right? I didn't really know any of this.
1: We get one guest and she's already smarter than us. Yeah, that's super annoying.
0: Okay, listen,
3: we don't read books on on this podcast. Yeah,
0: this is not not a place for information.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is all opinion that is ill-sourced from Twitter, okay?
3: Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And you don't cite your sources either. If you did, you would have given me credit for introducing you fuckers (laughs) to Marilyn Robinson in the first place. You're all going on and on about Gilead. Who introduced you to Gilead?
0: Okay, all right. Real quick. I just want to throw Zach completely under the bus for this, (laughs) because Zach gave it to me, and he never mentioned that you were, in fact, the original source.
1: Listen, as a pusher, what, I have to tell you where I got the heroin, okay? I
0: mean, ideally, yes. (laughs) Uh, But much more importantly, you didn't tell our listeners, how dare you? Uh, I think it's important to say if we ever have anything good to say, it probably came from Kelsey originally. It's That's true. That's she knows what's up. I
3: listen to every episode and get oh, pissed do off that. every single time because there's always <laughs> something in there that I should have gotten credit for and didn't. Uh,
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna plead ignorance here. I don't know what what I have done to deserve that.
1: Listen, listen, if I gave Kelsey credit for everything, I would just have to be silent. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that would be really unfair if you gave a woman proper credit for her thoughts. That would be so really terrible for you. bringing this back
1: around, many apologies to Kelsey. General Babis, you guys- We're going to f-
0: put a disclaimer at the beginning of every episode. View's not our own. <laughs> Probably
3: something here. Hat tip to Kelsey somewhere. That's
2: oh, right. Oh, we
1: should say DM Kelsey if you have a
3: problem with
1: anything That's we true. Say You do have part. to yes. deal with our have concerns a, have now. Have a fun time with that. Kelsey, why do you want to push Joshua
0: Harris off a cliff?
1: <laughs> do you want to talk to Michael's mom about all our cursing? <laughs> Honestly,
0: she would love to have that conversation yeah. with you know, she has a lot of thoughts as a
3: woman on twitter i'm not used to having people send me angry me. okay so according to doug frank fundamentalists are, are more separatists so for mm-hmm. example in my regular baptist church you know there was no dancing going to wow. m- movies was c- pretty frowned upon wow um absolutely no drinking mm. so Things that are kind of mainstream, right? It, it wasn't even like we were part of the culture war. It was like we were not a part of the culture. Interesting.
0: You, you were the original South. You seceded we from, the, from the culture We seceded from war.
3: culture, yes. Wait, so if there's like, if we have
1: Amish on one side of the binary, like how close are you to horse and buggy? How many chairs have you handcrafted? How many horses have have people buggy? How many barns have you raised?
3: <laughs> I, I wish the answer to all three of those was so many more. Yeah, right. <laughs> So, so according to Doug Frank, kind of in the middle of the 20th century, mm-hmm. so we're talking post-war, some academics were like not loving the reputation of fundamentalists mm-hmm. as being all hellfire and brimstone all the time mm. and wanted to be seen as more respectable and more academic. And that was kind of the start of... <laughs>
1: That has gone
2: well.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it sounds a little counterintuitive, but then if you think through it, right, it was like, oh, these people actually want to have power in the Mm -hmm. culture. Mm Yeah. And they want to do that by being respectable. And so it might have started Mm -hmm. out within Mm -hmm. academia and then kind of quickly became like, oh, now we want to have power. In politics,
0: yeah, and we see sort of the fruition of that in like Bruce Ashford that we talked about last week of these people that are their whole deal is being involved in the culture and sort of gathering political power.
1: Secretary of State, yeah, absolutely.
0: yeah,
3: and so part of it was you know where it started like okay we want to actually publish things that are respected outside of Christian institutions like we want to do. Good science and good research kind of became like, we need to be part of the culture so that we can win it. Mm. And so that means we will have drums in the plexiglass cages. That's right. <laughs> um, and we will make our church services something that will appeal to people in the culture. So mm-hmm. we now have mm-hmm. purple lighting at our church services. Whoa, whoa. Uh, we have a drum. We have not just a guitar, but an electric guitar so that we can be cool. We will talk about the fact <laughs> that sex is awesome as long as it is within the bounds of marriage. Yeah. And
1: how hot their wives are. Look at his wife. She's hot. <laughs>
3: so, so that was what evangelicalism did, right? Yeah. It kind of wants to be, it wants to have power. And so it, in some ways, adapts to the culture so that it can be like maybe a little bit cool, Fundamentalists did not board that train
1: <laughs> or any train. They were scared because of trains, the are, train. trains are for harlots <laughs> yeah. and rakes. Okay, yeah.
3: too rhythmic
1: <laughs> when the train's are rocking.
3: Oh, God. <laughs> no. So, so. So fundamentalists are, like, not about adapting to the culture. They are about refraining from every part of the culture. So Mm. how
0: was that for you as a child growing up, not having any of this context and just being denied the culture that you presumably had some interaction with?
3: I did, right. And and I want to... I want to be fair here because my parents are That's pretty, not really
1: what our
0: podcast okay. is about. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I cut this part out. But, um, this is all
1: tawdry libel. Yeah.
3: Okay. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> my parents are both public school educators, mm. right? And, like, a really common thing at my church was to shit on public education. Right? Yeah, you, mine too. We you got only the send yeah, your kids to not just Christian schools, but, like, specifically regular Baptist Christian schools.
1: That evolution is going to teach them to have sex. Yeah. You know, I've been saying that. Been <laughs> on that train. Look at that sexy lizard. <laughs> Turning into a sexy uh, bird.
3: So I learned all that shit. And look where it got me. I'm yep. an apostate. I love it. Wow. Yeah. Um, I was, so I was public school, K to 12, proudly. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't totally like a pure fundamentalist upbringing. Sure. Like my parents mm, are yeah. very reasonable people to this day and like,
0: People are often better than the systems they're part of,
2: for sure. Believe
3: that. Yeah, I believe that. So when I was in high school, I and my nerdy, nerdy youth group (laughs) friends decided (laughs) that it would be so fun Uh to learn to swing dance.
1: Oh. This was a thing. This happened. There was was a moment. There was a swing dancing moment. In like the mid to late 2000s. Uh, There really was a Christian swing dance thing. Oh, absolutely.
3: Not... Among the regular. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. Yeah. Right.
0: This was your rebellion.
3: It was. So we rented.
1: Wait, wait, were you in the town of Beaumont?
3: (laughs) (laughs) So we like clandestinely rented. Oh, I love
1: this so much.
0: We
3: rented a VHS (laughs) from the library. Mm -hmm. We didn't rent it. We checked it out for free, obviously. Go libraries.
1: We're all clandestine affairs. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) And
3: this VHS was called Wedding Day Dances. So it was from, It was from the 1980s. And I will be, to be fair to myself, who spearheaded this effort, and to my nerdy, nerdy friends who so gamely went along with it. Yes. Our first choice was not wedding day dances. It was some sure. other VHS about, like, learning to dance. And it moved too fast for us. <laughs> <laughs> so we couldn't keep up. Having had... No experience with any form of dance because sure. that shit <laughs> is of, of the, the devil.
1: devil. Uh huh. Oh man.
3: So so we we found wedding day dances was like our speed, <laughs> and we went over to my friend's house and we put this video in and we like moved the couches away and we learned
1: and had an orgy <laughs> and had an
3: orgy. Yeah, we learned not just to swing dance, but also to waltz. Oh
0: wow, whoa. Wow. I mean, hey, the, the devil's four step. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, then after we learned to swing dance and got like kind of okay at it for a bunch of 15 years. Nice.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: We would go to like free swing dancing things. Oh, wow. So there was a kind of like ridiculous and fancy hotel like half an hour away in another town. They had live swing dancing on Saturday nights. You
0: had to escape your town to go swing yes, dancing? Yes, this is oh, just
1: my. the story. This is amazing.
0: I mean,
3: it's- not so much that we were, like, afraid of being caught, but that there was nowhere else to go. Yeah, like, Nowhere obviously. in my town would have had swing dancing.
1: Exactly. <laughs> my, my town
3: only And has- then Kevin
1: Bacon freed all of you.
3: Yeah. No, my town only has box stores. That's it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I- oh, that's true. You, you're from box store America. I'm
3: from box store America,
1: I mean, yeah. that's just America. <laughs> that's
3: fine. <laughs> yeah. So we would go to this hotel. There would be a, a pretty good live swing band. Love it. And we just had a great time. And the problem is that Saturday night is right before Sunday morning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I've been saying. I've Hot, been. The
3: hottest of takes here. <laughs> so we would stay and it would be pretty late. And wait,
0: what is pretty late?
3: You know what? Sometimes we get so our curfew. My, my curfew, me and my sister's curfew was midnight.
0: Oh, okay. So okay. actually like pretty, yeah,
3: pretty reasonable. That's
0: like borderline late.
3: So then, but like, you know, six, seven hours later, we right. have to be up for Sunday school right. to uh, get ready for Sunday
0: school. Yeah.
3: And so we would all come in just like totally bleary <laughs> after our wild night of you swing know, dancing.
1: Hung over on all that swing. On all that
3: swing, yeah. But it was like this big secret. Like wow. people at church knew that oh, we were all great. tired, but we felt like we couldn't tell them why. So we actually had this really wonderful Sunday school teacher, Janice.
0: Oh, Janice. Shout out to Janice.
3: And okay. we t- we did eventually tell her. We would all come in and she'd be like, big night out at the Madonna Inn, huh? And
1: <laughs> Midnight at the Madonna Midnight
3: Inn is a good the title for something. Yeah,
1: it by is, the way. right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's your <laughs> memoir right there. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so all that to say like, This was a really uh, uncommon way to grow up.
1: Sure.
0: For people our age. Right. Agreed.
2: (laughs)
3: Um, But I didn't have any idea that that was the case. Yeah. And I actually had like a a really great childhood and like rad high school experience. Oh. Like when I talk about, you know, Mm. when everybody says like they would rather die than repeat high school. Mm -hmm. And like. I had a great time.
1: Would you say you peaked in high school? Maybe. Actually. <laughs> you went to revivals, though, right? Yeah. So, what? So
3: that's the other thing. Is like, yeah. I want to just be very clear here that I actually had a, a pretty happy childhood and an extremely happy teenage yeah. experience, mostly because of the some of the people at my church, yeah. mostly my peers, mm-hmm. who were wonderful and yeah. like really nice to me. Yeah. Okay. But also friends. Is the word, for that. <laughs> yeah, the word is friends. <laughs> the word is friends. So I did have these wonderful friends. Um, none of them identify as Christians anymore. That's not true. A lot of well, yeah, because they're swing dancers. But I did have, and I'm realizing kind of recently that I had this experience that is like way more in line with like early 20th century than early 20th 21st century. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's a church going.
3: So you know, it wasn't. It was like really common. To have churches that you know where drinking was completely not allowed, mm-hmm. um, and all of these like recreational pursuits were frowned upon, mm-hmm. um, and and things like revivals. You know, we would have like a week every summer where a traveling evangelist would come and speak every yes. night. Yes, and it's unclear to me actually now why my family went. <laughs> like clearly we were already all saved
1: sure what were they reviving
3: what were they actually reviving yeah um i don't i don't know i actually don't know who the intended audience of those revivals really was because it was all hell all the time
0: yeah and if you go back to the original like sort of revival loop yeah. in america like it was absolutely an Evangelical movement and that it was bringing people in, but Billy, that's not really the case. Yeah, Billy
1: Sunday, Billy yeah. Graham, guys before that, the Great Awakening. It was the idea was intended to call people back to the church. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and this was like, who the hell would go to this thing if you didn't already <laughs> go to the church? Like nobody would waste their time on this. Yeah, shit.
1: So what happens? You're there for a week. You're showing a, up every night. A picture
3: every night. Yeah, it's not. I mean, this isn't like a camp revival. No, right? know, we're not like camping out in the woods and s- like a. Tent. You show
1: up to a place yeah. seven days a week.
3: Se- yeah. So just, right, just like during Revival Week. Revival okay. okay. day camp. Yes. Yeah. So there's one traveling evangelist yep. who is...
0: An alcoholic. Prob- <laughs>
2: Maybe.
3: But he he and his wife are uh, definitely staying in their RV in the church parking lot. Okay. For sure. The I mean, it was all for sure like hellfire and brimstone. Yes. This wasn't all that unique to... And this is another kind of hallmark of fundamentalism Mm -hmm. because evangelicalism Mm -hmm. kind of recognized that like maybe all hell all the time (laughs) isn't all that attractive to outsiders what
1: and and doesn't
3: really give you like good standing in the culture
1: it's uh it's sinners in the hands of a thirsty god now
3: (laughs) yeah but you like gotta slip it in
1: yeah you gotta slip it
3: in kind of subtle
1: like i said (laughs) because of the implication
3: yeah so So it was it was altar calls. It was like you have to be sure you could get in a car accident tonight on your way home.
0: Yeah, I definitely Mm -hmm. heard that one. Oh yeah, Yeah. so you better make sure.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I probably got saved like so many times per year,
0: totally, just
3: in case it wasn't real and I was actually going to hell.
0: That was definitely me growing up as well. I Dozens. Dozens of times. Yeah. I have all the salvations. You guys can't have any. I took them all. Yeah. One percent. One percenter of salvation. <laughs> the one percenter yeah. of salvation.
1: It's
0: just me and Kelsey up there hanging out with Jesus. Michael
3: <laughs> is hoarding all <laughs> of Jesus' love. You <laughs> gotta get some of that out. <laughs> I do remember one of these traveling evangelists had. Okay. Uh, he was a ventriloquist.
2: Oh,
1: Okay. Yes! I
3: I'm so happy. I By just way, burst into
1: happy tears. Yeah. Yesterday was a lot of sad tears. Mhm. I'm so happy right now. Ooh. I I really
0: could not have anticipated that when we said tell us a little bit about your childhood, <laughs> we were going to arrive at uh, Revival Evangelical uh
1: Please paint us that picture.
3: I mean, it's a, it's a pretty I mean, we are talking like I, a guess. couple decades ago at this point. But <laughs> but this
0: was a formative experience.
3: Yeah. This Kelsey, was puberty. you're holding a this puppet
2: was, right this now. This was her puberty.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, right, like Hellfire and Broomstone was so common that it all runs together. Like I don't yeah, remember yeah. any of it specifically. But I do remember the ventriloquist with the with the puppet, like the, the dummy style, right? Like yes. sitting on his knee. This
0: is such a Twilight Zone episode. I love it.
3: Yeah. and And like I have no sense of what that dummy was saying to us. Like, no recollection of the point of it. Yeah. Probably to tell us that we could be hit by a car that night. (laughs) And we better be sure we were really going to go to heaven. And you'd be
1: reincarnated as that dummy.
3: Yeah. So, and and then the only other thing I remember from that preacher is that he said, like, if we were not in church, and, the you know, his exact phrase, which was not obviously original to him, was, like, if we were not at church every time the doors were open, we should probably question our salvation.
0: Ooh, that's
2: a new
1: one.
0: Yeah,
3: like... I remember it was a boy dummy, of course, because women are not allowed. To yeah, speak they're not allowed to preach. In, so, come on. Anyway, so of course he wouldn't
2: have a
1: girl <laughs> dummy. In his worldview, the women were already dummies.
2: Oh.
3: oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah. It burns
1: a little. Yeah. Yeah, it does.
3: So that was kind of my fundamentalist upbringing, and I will say <laughs> there were some like interesting ways that this like coincided with some of my parents' more progressive impulses.
0: Okay. Do tell.
3: So, for example, uh, it would be pretty normal for a, a nice. fundamentalist, a, a girl child of the fundamentalist world, not <laughs> to be allowed to have Barbies.
0: Ah, yeah, yeah, right?
3: yeah. So I was not allowed to have Barbies, not because, like, oh, these this will, like... You know, introduce some sex pot ideology into my mm-hmm. fragile worldview. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it got in there somehow, some, right? Somehow, <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, but my my dad was a middle school teacher, and he was just used to seeing all of these middle mm-hmm. school girls with wrecked self-image and, mm-hmm. and terrible body image. I was going to say,
0: we sort of circle back around on Barbies being terrible. Yeah, we just yeah, yeah. No, yeah no, they are. It's the correct
3: point. It is the correct point. But so we were not allowed to have Barbies unless unless they were like career Barbie.
1: Oh, so there were yeah. a few yeah. exceptions. That's, yeah. that's fucking adorable.
3: I had a gymnast Barbie. Um, sick and and a, like an astronaut Barbie the other thing <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm so scared
3: that was like an interesting kind of way that a fundamentalist mm-hmm. worldview and a more progressive worldview collided was n- no TV ever
0: oh wow
3: right so that that's really standard yeah like a lot of fundamentalists didn't were not like you couldn't use playing cards right because those mm-hmm. were used to gamble that that's level true. of separation that's true. so of course you you can't watch TV My parents-
0: (laughs) I thought you said you had a good childhood.
3: (laughs) You know what? We were allowed to watch videos.
0: Um. What
1: kind of
3: videos? (laughs) A lot of Winnie the Pooh. So much Winnie the Pooh.
0: You're bringing me back around. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But my parents were like kind of early adopters of limited screen time. And my grandmother, who did have cable, would sometimes tape things for us. Like record
1: them. Wait. She smuggled TV into you? No, she was given permission. She was,
3: given permission. So she we was had, your dealer?
1: <laughs> yeah, and then you turned her in.
0: <laughs>
3: we turned her in. No, these, hey, what a want a little Sesame Street little girl? <laughs> we did have a couple of episodes of Sesame Street. Maria has a baby. That was one. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, because we had one, right? So rather than like watching every week, we just Maria Has, has a, just, a Baby. Like, this is an Maria, amazing
1: movie. Maria, Maria we Has a watched, Baby is a questionable title. We can all agree.
3: We just watched the same ones over and over again. So mm. Maria Has a Baby is the, um, the Sesame Street episode that we watched. It's and then we baby. had a couple of Mr. Rogers episodes. Aww. So we have <laughs> the one where he goes to the pretzel factory. And we had the one where he looks at how fiberglass is made. Yeah,
0: I cannot believe we've arrived at the Mr. Rogers Plot Summary segment of the podcast. <laughs> what an incredible journey. Yeah, spo- yeah, thank you for letting us Yeah, her. but how is fiberglass made, though?
3: <laughs> Again, vague impressions
0: here. Hellfire and Brimstone. You've been to one hell, you've been to them all, says Milton.
3: We were allowed to watch Disney movies. Not all fundy kids were.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, my mom was part of the Disney band briefly, but yeah. around, Roundabout's Hunchback of yeah, Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We took a little as Merel Esmeralda, you know what I mean. Well, my
3: parents were not stoked about *Hunchback* either.
0: Yeah, I think it sort of crossed. My parents over. are
1: kind of ableist. That's why.
3: Well. <laughs> we're
0: cutting that.
2: <laughs> Unless it's true, I don't know. It's not true. Okay. No,
3: um, they try so hard. So that was TV for us, and and I never actually like got the distinction between like. Actually, TV, like the thing that has channels. Wow. <laughs> and then all our, the. Our
1: viewers are familiar with TV. And <laughs> all
3: the other things that might show up on a TV screen, such as videos. Like that was not a, a meaningful distinction to me, literally, until probably high school. So, but then eventually, like, channels somehow came into our life. Um, and so we could watch the Olympics.
1: Magic secular channel.
0: Magic secular
3: channel. Teach
1: me the way of your secular channel. Yeah.
3: So, so we so we could watch the Olympics, and then we stumbled across the Amazing Race.
1: I that watched the shit out of the Amazing so Race. So
0: much more current of a reference than I was anticipating <laughs> when you told this oh, story. Oh, right,
3: because I'm talking about high school, right? right. This yeah. is
0: wild. So
3: this is not like my earliest childhood. Right. So we started watching The Amazing Race because it's super clean, like kind of family. I don't know.
0: They had gays on there.
3: Oh, but this yeah. was before that, though. Okay. Yeah, this yeah. was before the gays were
1: before, on. This before is, The this Amazing is, Race got this canceled. This is a traditional Amazing Race.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> not Solid. Civil Union Amazing yep.
3: Race. Well, so somehow watching Amazing Race caused us to stumble upon, totally by accident, Survivor. <gasps>
1: okay, now that is a lot so fallacious. what we're
0: hearing is that the amazing race caused you to stumble. I mean, <laughs> I guess
3: that's that's what where we well, and it caused my parents to stumble because you
1: brought them down with
0: we you. We brought
3: we brought them down. This yeah. is this
1: is how simple. I'm about know, to start preaching with my ventriloquist. Yeah, dummy, that's right.
2: Because right. if,
3: yeah. if you're standing on a chair, it's so much easier for someone on the floor to pull you down than that's for you right. to pull them up onto the chair with you. That's probably what the ventriloquist dummy said actually. <laughs> um, so we started watching Survivor, and that became which is a on t- actual TV.
0: That was your Rosetta Stone for like culture.
3: But also, <laughs> you can, if all your homework is done, if and only if, then you can watch Survivor, and it just became wait. Kelsey could have
1: a little sin as a treat.
3: As a treat, a little <laughs> tiny bit of secular TV. That's how gets yeah, but then even my parents like backslid because eventually it was like oh, I don't have all my homework done. I still have a little bit of math to do. And my parents like relented to the extent that they let me watch anyway, if it was mostly done and I could finish the rest of it during commercial breaks.
1: Okay, so you grew up in this subculture, this world as an adult. What has this left you with? What do you... How did this break you?
3: (laughs) Oh, there are so many ways. Um, Oh, no. (laughs) I struggle to to speak or exert leadership, which is from the devil. (laughs) Uh, And more importantly, I am so impaired at pop culture.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Trivia is a real bear.
3: Well... I mean, trivia about literature, geography, I can rock that shit. Okay. But the, the especially the music round, forget it.
1: Yeah, trouble. You Also, how are you with celebrities?
3: I'm so bad at celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I, I don't know who any of them are, and I can't tell any of them apart.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Let's get specifics.
3: Okay.
1: So Emma Stone stars such hits as La La Land and those other movies. And Margot Robbie, stars of other movies. Do they look the same to you?
3: They look absolutely identical to me. Cannot. When I'm looking at a picture of one, I can't tell you which one of them it is.
1: I think that's a little bit racist. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even have that much in common, except they have <laughs> almond-shaped eyes.
3: Now that's a little bit racist. <laughs> it's, it's worse with men. <laughs> True on so many fronts. <laughs>
1: All right. Uh, Matt Damon, America's Sweetheart, and Brad Pitt,
3: identical. What?
1: That is just insane. Matt Damon is wholesome. <sighs> He's boy next door. He's corn fed. He's we've talk, fed.
0: We've talked about a lot of terrible people on this podcast, <laughs> but
1: you might be the worst. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> For that take. Brad Pitt, golden statuesque god. Matt Matt. Matt well, More importantly, boy they have different door. builds. I am Googling yeah, shirtless pictures of
0: both of these men right constantly. now. Constantly. Not just right now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had them on my bookmarks. Brad Pitt live. Mm-hmm. Like Brad Pitt has got me. that like skinny boy energy. Yes. Matt Damon, bulky.
3: When I look at their faces, I just for me it's like general white guy. Now when I look at their torsos, I just <laughs> appreciate a good thing. And I don't really care if I'm looking at like bulky or live.
1: I'm gonna add a third Spice to this pot, Channing Tatum.
3: Especially if you're just looking at the torso, the same. What? Channing Tatum is so
1: beefy.
0: He's a whole different generation of yeah. hot. Like, but they,
3: but they all kind of look like the same. They're the same age.
0: You know what? I need to get your parents on the line. We need to talk about how they ruined you. That's crazy.
3: My my parents won't understand any of this. The only one of these people that they will have even have name recognition for is Brad Pitt.
1: Or in your mom's case, The Rock. Oh, yeah, my
3: mom is obsessed with The she Rock. She doesn't know Channing
1: Tatum, but she's obsessed with The Rock.
3: She really, really loves And I'm taking, again, hat tip to Kelsey. Uh, I introduced my mom to Fast and Furious. I now, love that Karina, in
0: this world you are the culture like bringer. Yeah, you brought for in survivor. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay.
3: I mean, I guess fair is fair, right? Zach introduced me to Fast and Furious.
1: Mm, unlikely, he's not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm currently wearing the Dom necklace as we speak. <laughs> so you think all white men look alike?
3: That seems to be where the evidence is pointing.
1: I can't really argue that point,
0: though.
3: (laughs) All right. Could be worse. I look like Brad Pitt.
1: That is my takeaway from this, Bob. There you go. And we are ending the segment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, let's transition to the reason you're actually here to talk about how we're all doomed and the Earth is dead. Uh, You have an upcoming article in Slate, as we mentioned. Why don't you walk us through that article? What was the pitch? What's the story? Tell us a little bit about that experience. It's about Yosemite. It's about the Redwoods. And it's about how everything is terrible
3: yeah that's the podcast (laughs) (laughs) we're doomed featuring kelsey (laughs) in addition to the other things that were mentioned in my bio um i wait you
0: have more accomplishments this is unfair
3: like listen if i wanted to get owned on my own podcast wait
1: (laughs) (laughs) every single week buddy
3: (laughs) (laughs) so i have been working for the national park service Seasonally, so I've I've been working summers there as a ranger in Yosemite for the last 12 summers.
0: Wow. That's a lot of summers.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How old were
0: you when you started that? 12, obviously.
3: (laughs) Uh, I was in college. I was in college. So it was a college summer job that Mm -hmm. then became a part of my life that lasted a lot longer because it is a a really wonderful way to spend summers if you have that kind of job. Mm,
0: People aren't really into Yosemite.
3: Five million, five million people a year cram themselves into Yosemite and ruin everything. So this (laughs) is a very special place for you. I work in the south end of Yosemite, which is, if if you've never been to Yosemite and you have an image in your mind, you probably are thinking about waterfalls and half dome. That's in Yosemite Valley. That's about an hour away from where I work and live. I work and live in a much quieter part of the park. And uh, it is home to the Mariposa Grove of giant sequoias. Okay. So giant sequoias are arguably the largest living thing on Earth. Um, I've heard that. Yeah, they are. Who's on the other
1: side of that argument? Who are you, Whom are you fighting?
3: You so don't want to go there, but...
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Some botanists wait, wait. argue that actually quaking aspen are the largest because they are clonal stems of one another. So there might be like thousands and thousands of quaking aspen that look like they're individual trees, but they're all connected at the roots and... They make the largest single organism. Those people sounded soft. This should definitely be cut. But... No, we're keeping that. But you're right. I I do regret asking. <laughs> <laughs> so they can be like over 200 feet tall, over 100 feet in circumference at the base, and sometimes upwards of 3,000 years old. Wow. So part of my job is giving guided walks through the Mariposa Grove and kind of helping visitors to telling stories about sequoias and the history of the grove and and. You know, natural history, and how
1: Bernie planted all the first ones.
3: All the first ones, three thousand years ago. <laughs> what, what? When po- he was
1: only eighty. What
3: good thing? <laughs> what
1: good things has that man not been a part of in history?
3: People like visitors, first-time visitors to the Mariposa Grove, like see them and cry. That's pretty pretty common wow. actually, because they're just so massive, hmm. and they are also very rare. There are. Depending on who you ask. Um, <laughs> of 75, anywhere from 65 to 75 groves total, depending on what you would count as a distinct Greek grove. And they are all in California on the west coast of the Sierra Nevada. Between California
0: number one, baby. That's
3: right. One and only. Uh, yeah, only between about 5,000 and 8,000 feet in elevation. Wow. So they, they have really specific requirements for where they will survive and for that reason are absolutely fucked.
0: Okay. Yeah, so that's sort of the premise. And let me just say really quick: uh, my dad actually took me on a pilgrimage to uh, the sequoias when I was 13. Aww. It was the only time I came to California until I was a grown grown man. But he had seen them in his youth, and that was an important moment for him. So he we literally took like a dad and son trip out to Yosemite, oh, that's and adorable. we. Uh, tried to hike Half Dome. It was not a successful outing uh, for a lot of reasons, mostly involving not bringing any water. Uh, But we took a lot of great other (laughs) hikes and also uh, went and saw the Sequoias. And I I don't remember crying because it wasn't Star Wars related, so I wasn't going to cry about
3: it. But it was
0: very impressive. Yeah. Uh, But the point of this is they're all dying.
3: They're not all dying. Oh, good. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Podcast over. Some of them are dying for Reasons that we understand. Okay. And some others of them are dying for reasons that we don't understand. One of my jobs this summer, in addition to like all the normal things like working in the visitor center and leading guided walks through the Mariposa Grove, was photographing a couple of specific different stands of giant sequoias that are dying. Okay. Wow. Which is, if you come on a ranger led program in a sequoia grove, you will for sure hear the ranger say, Probably these words, exactly. Giant sequoias are so good at surviving um, anything that nature can throw at them that they continue to survive and thrive for thousands of years until finally uh, one thing and one thing only kills them, their own mass. Eventually, they get so top-heavy for their own shallow root systems to support that they topple over.
1: So oh, too of me, is, by the way. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I've said these words now for the past 12 summers. You almost never see a dead standing sequoia. Right? That's always been too simple. Um, ecology sure. is really never that cut and dry. But now that we're seeing these stands of sequoias just die where they stand, that's actually a pretty new thing.
0: So, so you're literally documenting the death of a species of tree that has existed for millennia? Um,
3: yeah. So every, once a week, I, I would go to these like marked off GPS points okay. at the same time of day each mm. week and take a photograph of each of these different stands. And then, you know, label the photos in a specific way and then archive them into the Park Service's like internal drive s- system. And, and that was to, to document kind of this unprecedented thing.
0: You are, you are watching an immortal object die. Yeah. Wow.
3: Yeah. So just a few years ago, these were pretty healthy to my, you know, I'm not yeah. an ecologist, sure. just to be clear. Um,
0: just a swing dancing extraordinary it's the only thing that's not on her (laughs) Um,
3: so so to my non-ecologist sensibilities they seemed like healthy stands of sequoias and then very quickly became dying stands of sequoias so
0: you have observed this in your time in the park
3: oh yeah yeah I'm, i'm just seeing all these things die in real time the river is drying up
0: yeah, I was gonna, there are other things we're probably There's not going to cover here, other... but Yosemite is changing at a really rapid pace.
3: Oh, yeah. Yes. So clear to me since I started working there in 2008. So that was my pitch. Uh, I am watching Giants. I'm a I'm a seasonal park ranger. I'm watching Giant Sequoias die and helping document it. Um, so that was kind of the premise of of my piece for Slate and also this complicating factor that, like, talking about things dying due to climate change is really complicated. Mm because so I'm not an ecologist I am actually a climate change communication scholar um so my my masters degree is in communication I specifically study environmental communication and rhetoric of science
1: speaking of word salad you're blowing my mind <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know the important things like Brad and channing Peter <laughs> yeah. their measurements their torso. I'm beginning to
0: understand why you have face blindness for celebrities. You just don't have room. Yeah, yeah right. I can
3: tell all I've like a specific relationship with all these individual sequoias. Like I can tell them <laughs> apart from each other. Stacy's <laughs> a
1: bitch. They're her
2: celebrities. Yeah, these are my oh, celebrities.
3: No. <laughs> so, I guess all that to say like I have studied climate change communication. Um, I, I wrote my thesis on climate change communication in national parks. And there's a lot of research, I mean, mostly obviously not my research, but like research by like real, real experts on how Mm -hmm. to effectively talk about climate change with people who are not professional scientists.
0: It just involves running around screaming a lot, right?
3: That, I mean, that's my impulse. Yeah. It turns out that actually, supposedly, there's like more effective ways to do it. Ugh. But, um. Boo.
0: boo. As podcasters, I object.
3: <laughs> As someone who spends most of my time running around yelling, um, I exactly.
0: object. Well, well let's, let's cool it on the running. Let's take a seat and then we can do some yelling.
3: <laughs> the sort of conventional wisdom in climate change communication is that you should give people some hope.
0: Mm-hmm. Again, not our expertise. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. Hope is important.
2: I agree with that.
3: If you just tell them all the ways that everything is fucked, um, then they just get totally hopeless. And they're like, well, then nothing that I do matters. So I always stress, like, give people specific actions that they can take. Right. I'm still a government employee, so I can't be like, you should vote for candidates who... Understand that climate change is real. Um, that would that would be like a great thing to do. You know, instead yeah. I'm telling these people like you should recycle and uh, turn off the lights when you leave the room and take public transportation.
2: Mm. You know,
3: all of these like individual actions mm-hmm. uh, because that gives them like something specific that they can engage with when they get home. You know, I tell them, hey, giant sequoias are not really doing well, and then I tell them they should recycle.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. And this piece sort of delineates why that might not actually be the answer
3: right that like individual action at this point is you know like it's too late for people to just like start recycling and act like that's going to save giant sequoias so
0: (laughs) we're encountering systemic problems that are killing one of the most rare and beautiful things in our world and our answer is recycle
3: yeah and so i know that like that's a bullshit thing to say. Yeah,
0: you literally describe it as a lie in this piece.
3: I yeah, so I'm telling people like that their actions matter. And I don't really think that I buy that because I think at this point like we're so far gone yeah. that individual actions are just not you know like five you somebody gets 5 million visitors a year.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so
3: I keep telling myself like 5 million people recycling is better than 5 million people not recycling. But like either way, giant sequoias are i think they're probably doomed yeah now i'm not actually a climate scientist or an ecologist but you did
0: speak to a scientist for this piece and that was a really interesting moment i'll I'll read you the quote because you've been talking for a long time (laughs) and i want you to be able to drink that beer Uh, (laughs) but you talk to him and he's he's very i i want to say cagey but i think reticent is the better word because he is a scientist and he understands that even to speak to you, he and had he to works get for the government. Exactly. So, so even to speak to you, he needs to know that everything that he's saying is backed up by like science, mm-hmm. specifically mm-hmm. with regarding these groves. But you sort of were able to work around him in a really great way because at the end, he's sort of talking about like, yeah, maybe if we make some changes, things can work out. And you say, but do you think sequoias are resilient, resilient enough that there's still time for us to figure those things out? Can the trees really hang on that long? He pauses. Maybe. And I think that was, like, the most human moment Damn. of that interview Damn. where a guy encounters, you know, just a very basic question of, like, are, are, are these things doomed? These things that have mm-hmm. encountered fire, flood, uh, all, all the great wonders and horrors that living on this earth can bring and has survived all of that to be at this place. Uh, but are they going to make it?
3: Yeah, and he... You know, we had a really, really long conversation, and sure. like a pretty small percentage of that was actually on the record.
0: Mm, interesting. Yeah. Oh. Right. So, so like.
3: So, dish girl. No, spill that tea. I do sometimes teach journalism, so I can tell you, I absolutely respect the bounds of being on and off the record. Um, Again,
0: this is a
1: podcast. There's no
0: rules, <laughs> baby. <babies. no> <laughs> We're gonna swing dance with ventriloquist dummies after this.
1: I try to get at least one truth in the midst of all the lying.
0: <laughs> and you fail. Yeah. <laughs> no one's gonna catch it when you say it, because it's all nonsense here.
3: So so this guy, you know, he's a real person and yeah. he loves the Sierra Nevada. Mm-hmm. He, and he has spent mm-hmm. his entire adult mm-hmm. life living in the Sierra and loving it. Right. And so he, you know, he said, and this was actually not on, not off the record. So he, he said this on the record, um, that like he was worried about just seeming like mechanical, heartless engineer guy. Yeah. Um, like totally data driven where, you know, he, mm-hmm. he described for me a sort of a personal crisis that he had gone through in realizing that his work was never going to lead to the absolute preservation of sort of pre-development, pre-industrial revolution. Sure. Uh, landscapes. Yeah. And that he had to make his peace with that. I'm done pretending, this is a direct quote I'm done pretending like I can predict the future.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: And so one of his points was like, everything is so complex. Like, we have climate change, but we also have like these restoration efforts and we also have, um, you know, trail systems and all of these things interact. And like, it's really hard to say what's killing any specific giant sequoia. So given that like, there are not models that will predict to what. Actual extent giant sequoias are screwed and how soon. Um, you know, all he can really say is like maybe. Mm-hmm. And
2: mm-hmm.
3: something else that I engage with in in this piece is um Jonathan Jonathan Franzen's yeah. essay that came out in September called What If What If We Stopped Pretending, mm-hmm. which was published in The New Yorker. And you know, look, every couple of months we have a Jonathan Franzen pylon. We were due for another one. Um, and so climate scientists just hated it. So this
0: freedom was overrated. I'm just gonna say it now.
3: Yeah, I don't think that's a hot take.
1: <laughs> I, I I like to think Jonathan would agree.
3: <laughs> so so he's basically saying, like, climate change you know, reversing or stopping climate change is not a winnable battle. Mm-hmm. So we have to just focus on these small battles that we can win. Mm. And he says, and the thing that like got the most most hate from actual climate scientists was he's like, "I have a model, and it's in my head." And my mental model says that uh, you know I look around and I see that we're doing nothing, and the landscape is already changing and climate change is already happening. And if we are not doing anything, we're probably not going to start doing anything.
1: Mm. I, I have a lot of affection for Jonathan Franz and residual and otherwise. Uh, but he did just describe thinking as a model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: he did. And climate scientists were like, that's not a model. Like this, <laughs> You're just, the way you just like kind of ruminate on things isn't a model.
0: <laughs> I like that that was what they were upset about. <laughs> like,
3: you, you, well, I mean, I think they're also upset because if you follow that line of thinking, right, like you end yeah. up just giving up.
2: Sure. And, mm-hmm. and
3: you know, like, I, I am a little bit there with him. Mm-hmm. Um, like I feel like, maybe individual action isn't going to do a damn thing at this point like 5 million people recycling isn't going to save giant sequoias even if that recycling actually gets recycled which is an open question sure and um but of course climate scientists like w- want us to know and need us to know that like every degree of warming is worth fighting yeah and so to just say like we can't do anything about it let's give up is totally counterproductive and Jonathan Franzen, you're not a climate scientist, so shut up. <laughs> sure. like, that's kind of what their response was on Twitter. Um, their response f- for climate scientists. So I guess I just kind of, even though like I'm, I'm no great Jonathan Franzen fan. Um, I, wow. Sorry. No,
0: there is a
1: hot take.
3: Um, yeah. Canceled.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I do kind of want to go there with him and, and like mm-hmm. defend him a mm-hmm. little bit because like, yeah, you know what? I know a lot about communicating about climate change and communicating about science. I am, but I am not a climate scientist and I am not an ecologist. And like, sure enough, I look around and I don't see any reason for hope.
1: Would you say you have a mental model?
3: I would not use those words myself <laughs> because I have seen what that elicits on Twitter and I'm tired of being yelled at on Twitter. So, so I'm, I'm like defending him a little
0: bit. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was an interesting part of the piece for me is obviously this is something you're very passionate about, but, You're very uh, open to the idea that hopelessness is a real thing in this fight. And uh, your second piece that we're going to talk about a little bit uh, sort of gets into that a little bit more. But first, is there anything else you wanted to say about your original piece? I mean, I... I don't know if we've arrived at the thesis so much as talked around it. Yeah, I mean, I don't even
3: know. I I feel like I'm so conflicted that the thesis is is very ambiguous. Sure. Um, (laughs) That, like, I don't know if hope has a role, but, like, we have... You know, doing something has to be better than doing nothing. Sure. Um, and I think kind of the other piece of it is, um, and my my editor really, I don't know if this should be cut out or not, but um, but my editor, like, really wanted me to address the rule of anger. Hmm. That, like, and originally, you know, I was kind of just like, should we have hope or should we not have hope? And she's like, well, there's more than just hope and hopelessness. Yeah. Um, you know, there's also anger. And, like, that is the, and demanding change, demanding systemic change.
2: Yeah. The,
1: the Green New Deals of the world.
3: Yeah, and and I think there's some truth to that. That like, it will take anger, and it will not just take five million people recycling. Yeah. Um, it will mm-hmm. take a bunch of people being super angry for a really long time and demanding that basically our entire economy be transformed. Um, we we really like cannot sustain consumerism and and really capitalism, yeah. and yes. get and like. Solve climate change.
1: Would you say it would take a big structural Bailey? <laughs> I,
3: would, I would say it would take a big structural Bailey.
0: Yeah, there, there was a great quote uh, in the piece about, like, how climate change isn't so much an emergency as festering injustice. And this mm. idea that, like.
3: That, so that's not my quote. Just no, be, no, no. Just no, yeah, to be sorry. clear, that comes from the. He, he calls himself the relevant lead author of um, <laughs> the latest inner. What is it? IPCC.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I consider Report. myself the relevant lead podcaster too. Right? It's a it's a recognized yeah, it's rank. a term. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's you relevant lead podcasters. You know? that's like. what
0: that pin on your lapel is. <laughs> uh, it was it was an important thing because I think it does touch on something so important about climate change: is that it's not just like, well, is all of humanity doomed? It's the the fact that people in situations of poverty experience climate change. Quicker mm-hmm. and more intensely yes. than, than maybe what we're used to here in the States, whether it's in the global south. Yeah, exactly.
3: Um, well, yes, but also, um, like, a whole bunch of people in California have died because yes. of wildfires, yep. right? And that is directly yep. linked to climate change. That's ongoing drought. Um, I mean, it's also poor forest management. It's, again, it's like complicated, but also, like, people have died in Australia, also climate change. Yep. So it's not, we're not, not just talking time. about the yeah. developing world. We're talking about the fact that, like California, the most populous and one of the wealthiest states in the United States, is already experiencing really dire effects of oh, climate change. So it's not like an on-off switch, but we're still not doing anything. Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's one of Bernie's big points: is that climate change is a social justice issue.
3: Yes. Yeah. Um, and actually, that author, the the relevant lead author of <laughs> um, the IPCC report on climate change, the latest one, uh, said likened the injustice of climate change to slavery. So, bas- Twitter, Twitter always loves that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but basically saying like slavery was a festering injustice mm-hmm. um, and it mm-hmm. was uh, you know, it wasn't a thing that like affected every single person equally. Yeah. But like it affected some groups in ways that it didn't affect other groups. That's kind of the definition of injustice. And uh, and we should think about climate changes that way because like it does have an effect on everyone just to, to some extent, but like it's not like we're all in this together. Actually, it's actually like some populations experience the effects of it to a much greater extent than the rest totally. of us who have the money to be insulated.
0: Yeah, uh, or the billionaires that are literally building compounds to get them through. <laughs> They're like, well, we're gonna kill the earth, so we better have so some private security. We're gonna security.
3: have a bunker that is yeah. air conditioned like crazy
1: absolutely so you also wrote another piece called uh, a climate for hope on a blog called writing america
2: Mm -hmm. um that
3: looks at how america has been moved farther and farther to the right yes um by evangelicals specifically and um and they kind of take on one policy issue after another so
1: that doesn't sound familiar at
3: all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they do it from an actual scholarly perspective. Oh, okay. Doesn't so, sound
0: familiar. <laughs> sound
3: familiar. Um, um, so I've I've blogged for I've written a couple of blog posts, and um, so this is I wrote one about kind of encountering not just climate change and like hope or no hope in the era of climate change, but where mm-hmm. that intersects with Christian theology.
1: So Christians, turns out are not good at the climate. <laughs> okay, so I, that's going to be a surprise on this podcast. Christians get everything right. They're, this podcast is about Christians hey, just hey, killing hey. it.
0: Dominion,
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christians believe, and a lot of them, in seven days literal creation. They believe in the Genesis verse about taking dominion over the earth to mean basically that mining for old earth metals with children is A-OK. okay so they're kind of saying that a lot of this climate change either isn't human-caused or doesn't matter.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a few different in sort of environmental discourses that, that we find in Christianity, and some of it is just horrifying, and some of it is <laughs> kind of okay. Um,
1: hooray, hooray! Kind of okay! Is, we did it, guys! That is the spectrum of Christianity, that horrifying to kind of okay. Yeah,
3: that's pretty much it. And, and this is for sure, you know, the, the fundamentalist experience is It's all gonna burn anyway. Yeah. That, like, we don't have to care about the environment because, first of all, we're in charge here. um, And whatever we need to do to, like, make humans prosper and, like, make the economy good is God's will. And whatever is, you know, whatever the consequences are of that perspective, ecologically or environmentally, doesn't matter because Jesus is coming back.
0: Yeah, this this sort of gets into end times. End like, t- oh yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. So this is this is a little fun little branch of, uh, of theology <laughs> called eschatology.
1: Oh no, that's that's I, I'm, we're not dealing with that. It's really unfair <laughs> that
0: you're making our listeners understand these concepts. Yeah, I'm so
3: sorry. So so let me also say like, not only am I not an ecologist or a climate scientist, I am also not a theologian. I'm, um, you know, I believe as Protestants, we're all theologians, <laughs> <laughs> so, because fundamentalists take everything in Scripture completely literally. Um, they believe in, in the rapture, which I know okay. you guys have gotten yep. into a little bit. Yeah. Um, and Jesus is literally coming back. Um, he's gonna rule the earth. Then the whole earth is just gonna burn. Um, so there's a. Earth sp- is
0: temporary, so it doesn't matter. So it yeah. doesn't matter.
1: It's, a, yeah. it, it's, it's basically wrapping paper. Strip mine the heaven. whole
0: thing. Heaven's gonna fix it anyway. Yeah. We'll fix it in post.
3: We'll fix it. Yeah. Yes. We'll fix it in post. There's. We'll a- fix
1: it in post millennial.
3: Oh no. <laughs> well done. So so there's gonna be a totally and this is this is there there are verses that say this right so they're not just like making shit up but um that there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth.
0: Sure, there are verses that say that. There's no verse that says, like, you don't have to care about the environment. In fact, there are many verses that say the exact opposite. (laughs) Yeah,
3: so that brings us to the kind of okay discourses of of Christian environmentalism. Um, So there's kind of another branch of... And I hate it so much. I hate, I hate.
0: <laughs> I the, saw it on your you're face. You're
3: so ready for this podcast. I hate so much. <laughs> I hate
2: so much.
3: Um, no, I mean, these are good people. I just hate the title of it. Um, they call it creation care. Uh, so, so they say like, okay, the whole earth was created by God and mm-hmm. therefore it is um, intrinsically valuable. And
0: I think I would agree with that and be, <laughs> because
3: it comes to us from God. And so it is our responsibility as Christians to care for it.
1: Yeah, natural revelation, which believes that we can know God through His creation, sort of touches
0: sort of. on that. I think I think that the world has more value than just God made it, so it matters. I think it is also just on its face valuable. Yeah, but, of course. Hey, so I'll take it.
3: That's where I struggle with cre- you know creation care yeah. uh, is because like I think that. <laughs> hey, it is... don't use that voice.
2: Sorry. Sorry.
0: <laughs> we would never stoop so low. <laughs>
3: um, I yeah I. I just think these things are valuable because they're valuable like regardless of how they got here. But, um, but that's not necessarily an orthodox perspective. And um, so, so, so there are, you know, there's Christian uh, environmentalists mm-hmm. uh, who are into creation care and say God made it. It is intrinsically good. God said that it is good and and we need to keep it good. And we're hurting other humans by destroying it. Yeah. That we are making it harder for other mm-hmm. humans to feed themselves. We are creating climate refugees. Um, and these are all things that, you know, fly in the face of God's love for yeah. humans.
1: We're poisoning people in plant, et cetera. Yeah.
3: So so there are Christians who who care about the environment, right? I don't want to say that, like, every Christian everywhere is like... They're all
1: in this room, but yes.
3: They're all, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's three of them. No,
0: I mean, I, I was doing some research, and it is it is something like 40% of evangelical Christians support the ideas behind a Green New Deal. Uh, which is to say, it got reported glowingly in a bunch of publications, like "Hooray, forty percent!" It's like that's actually not a great percentage, no, guys. But it was interesting uh, to see. It also skewed a lot younger. I think I think yeah. younger yeah, believers yeah. tend to be more passionate about this.
3: Oh yeah, that's been that's been like demonstrated by many many stru- studies. We
0: don't care about
1: studies here. I saw it on the internet. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: so.
1: As you wrap up this article, you kind of develop your own personal eschatology over a couple different articles.
3: I would say I have no eschatology because I have no idea what to believe about any of this. I love it. Um,
1: Radical honesty, a <laughs> okay. new take for this pod.
3: So um, so I, I for sure like have no conclusions.
0: Yeah, that's OK. Yeah.
3: Um, I, you know, something that I have been encountering a lot or, you know, thinking about a lot is that... Um, you know, it's really hard to get, if you're a Christian, it's really hard to get outside of what, and I'm, again, really sorry for this, um, communication scholars.
2: Uh, <laughs> we all took a drink. out. <laughs> yeah,
3: sorry. Uh, you know, people who study environmental rhetorics uh, talk about anthropocentrism. Sure. Right. So, so that is the idea that humans are at the center of everything. Mm-hmm. And most communication scholars say that like anthropocentrism is terrible and we should act like every species is as valuable as every other species. All right so that is like in real serious conflict with Christians. With with yeah, with Yeah, most, at least in- with
1: orthodox Christian. Christianity. Yeah, I mean like al moral writes about environmentalism. I think it's a perfect place for it is that there's a deep anti-humanism that runs through so much of the ecological movement.
3: I mean a lot of like orthodox Christians and who are like good people say that humans are set apart from every other species because we alone bear the image of god
2: yes mm-hmm.
3: and that like while we sh- can and should care about all of creation and um, humans are just fundamentally on a totally different level
0: jesus didn't come to die for the dolphins
1: so to speak
3: Right, yeah. And there, you know what? There's theologians that say Jesus came for the dolphins and every other part of the created world.
1: We're not talking about atonement on this podcast. Fuck dolphins. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nope, don't do that. <laughs>
0: Dude, they'll try to do it to you. Yeah,
3: they're for it. Yeah. They're here for it. They'll fuck anything. It's kind of
1: hard to figure out consent. It's murky. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, boy.
3: Okay. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm kind of at a point where I'm like straying from orthodoxy in that I... I'm moving away from anthropocentrism. Well, we've
1: never strayed from orthodoxy <laughs> here. So <laughs> the pod, the title of this podcast is Orthodox
3: Christian. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. I mean, I don't know. Ex- again, like I don't really have any answers here. I just am kind of at a point where I think like all of these ecosystems and, and other species are intrinsically valuable mm-hmm. and have an innate right to exist. No matter how they got here, and humans just need to fucking go home and s- stop messing things up for for every other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I don't really know exactly how that squares with Christian orthodoxy.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's great. But even if you even if you just take on the very basic idea that is part of orthodoxy, what what do they say all the time? We're called to be
1: stewards. We have to be stewards. We have to care. We have to care for this world, like. No, uh, I'm going to. I think it's a good yeah, go for, for it. it. Chris, this is a typical evangelical response. We will seek to honor. I'm quoting Bruce Ashford again. Hat tip to Friend the of boy. The pod.
3: our problematic fave. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I, I would certainly be able
1: to tell his torso apart from that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Even I could. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we will seek to honor the Creator, he writes, through our stewardship, taking care never to worship the creation instead. We will recognize the value of holistic flourishing, which includes human economic well-being, Ugh. often best achieved through the free market incentives.
0: Oh, <laughs> there it is.
1: We will adv- advocate for the pursuit of the common good as we understand it theologically, even when it is not politically expedient.
0: Oh, man. Uh, what, a, what
1: a hot take.
3: So that Yeah. So that says basically, like, human flourishing really is what matters here. And to the extent that environmental degradation gets in the way of human flourishing... We should stop.
0: But even then, I think on its face, he's lying about that because his solution yes. is the free market, which is the thing that put us in this mess. Well, it's
1: like, an insincere solution. Yeah, they, at they best. claim to care we about
0: can... human flourishing, but if you care about humanity and its continued ability to survive,
1: we need to take care of the planet. We can take care of the environment only in as much as it calls us to change nothing.
0: Yeah, I think that's the more honest take.
3: Yeah, no, that's, that's not even the more.
1: That's literally what he's
0: saying.
3: Yeah, and you cannot have sustainability and capitalism.
0: We are always here for a capitalism <laughs> takedown here on Shitty Christians. This is our bread and butter, baby. So, so capitalism
3: just says, like, growth and consumption, right? Yeah. Like, that's, mm. that is the ultimate mm. good in capitalism.
0: Yeah, greed is at the it's very the core only of its good being. It's the
3: only good, yeah. So the whole thing with sustainability is that, like, you actually cannot have infinite growth within a finite ecological system.
1: Yes. What?
3: So <laughs> eventually you're going to run out of shit. You're just going to use it up, and you know capitalists will try to say, uh, "Well, the market will compensate for that, right? Yeah. Like as resources get more scarce, uh, prices will go up. It hey, will drive- as resources
1: resources get more scarce, we will harvest more bodies. That That's is fine. like obviously. obviously, we'll put
3: them
0: in
1: the energy pods, matrix style. It's cool. So capitalism. So we're getting rid of capitalism. Yeah, let's, the let's orthodox it. belief is that there's a new earth that God will make this right. From what you've told me, if you don't mind me saying, we can cut this if you don't like it. But from what you've told me, you don't necessarily think that's true. You think it's possible that maybe humanity ends, and the world continues.
3: So that is, yeah, that's not a that is not a Christian take at all. Um, there, there's kind of, I would say it's it's actually maybe a pretty mainstream take in the environmental realm mm-hmm. if you cut out the yeah. Christians, um, which doesn't take. <laughs> oh yeah, the, it, the four of you. It doesn't take very long to, <laughs> to cut us out. The assumption is right, like the Earth humans evolved on the earth. Um, Mm. we will cause our own extinction and the earth will continue to evolve without us. Sometimes I think about that. Um, and that is, I think for a lot of folks who maybe don't get mired, don't have to get mired in eschatology, um, (laughs) that is its own like really grim source of hope. Mm. Uh, I think for those of us who think humans are never going to figure it out, like that we will never actually abolish capitalism in time to, to save our own species or, you know, the millions of other species that are absolutely screwed because of us, um, that like the earth's best hope is for us to go extinct and
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, that after us, like maybe something better will come along. So I, do, I you know, like, I don't know. I don't I have, I, I, to be honest, like I don't spend that much time thinking about eschatology because I think the Bible says a million different things about it. And I can't make sense of any of them, and I'm not a theologian. Uh, but I do understand that, like, for a lot of people, there's some hope to be found in the idea that, like, humans are fleeting, and the rest of the show is not.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: That, like, something will, something beautiful will outlast us, and and that's where you find your hope. A more hope hopeful Christian take is the idea that, like, God will. Make things right in the end and not just like burn everything up, but like give us back everything we've lost. Mm
2: -hmm. And,
3: you know, I, not, this isn't a normal thing, but like I'm pissed all the time about all of the animals that have gone extinct and all the other things that have just been wrecked, like even before I was alive. You know, I think a lot about the fact that my great grandparents got to look up and see the Milky Way every single night. Yeah. And I have to go on a really long, hard backpacking trip to get to a place remote enough. Where there's not light pollution, and sure. I can look up and see a uh, sure. pristine night sky, all right? So I understand that as a source of hope that, like, if there is anything to a restoration theology, that like God is going to give us back all of these things that we've ruined. Pragmatically, that worries me a little, to be honest, because how is that functionally different than it's all going to burn, all right? Either it's all going to be it's all going to burn and it doesn't matter, or it's all going to be restored and it doesn't matter. Yeah. And either way, humans are kind of absolved of responsibility. Mm.
0: I agree with you. Both of those things absolve humanity of its sins, uh, which is not really what we're here to do on this podcast. (laughs) We're here to hold an account. Uh, What would a modern, current Christian response to climate change look like now? Like, what's the recycling, but with enough systemic change involved? Like, what can we be advocating for if we actually want to try to address these things?
3: yeah and i mean i think there is well i'm not sure i go there uh, all the way to you know like humanism or anthropocentrism i i think there there can be a really powerful argument for that for people who do think that humans are special and uniquely capable mm-hmm. to care for the earth because well, we're we, clearly
0: the ones that are causing the problem so at least in right. that sense we can make changes and and it might not it might honestly be too late to fix it but what are those changes like, yeah what does that look like
3: so we can say like Currently, our actions are making things awful for other humans. Yeah. Even if you don't care that much about the rest of the earth. And you should. But if you don't, you know, we're still fucking things up for pe- you know, people who are being displaced by sea level rise. People who are dying in wildfires. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you think that humans have any kind of responsibility to other humans for getting the rest of the, of the environment. Um, Which for
0: the record, the Bible says. Yeah, do not so do, like, do that. At least if we're in the Christian realm. You, you, the Bible doesn't say fuck the dodos, but like the Bible definitely says care for your neighbor.
3: Yeah, right. So so even like cutting out the dodos here. Right, you can you can be a Christian and say, <laughs> "Let's cut out the dodos um,
0: And feed them to the refugees. And feed them to the refugees.
3: Um that like we are we we have to stop. Like we have to yeah. we mm-hmm. have to make mm-hmm. the world livable for the least of these.
0: Wow, I think that's a great place to leave it. So before we get out of here, Kelsey, where can people find you?
3: See, you can find me at Kelsey Lair. That's L-A-H-R on Twitter or KelseyLair.com.
0: My name is Michael Tabor. You can find me at Michael Tabor.
1: I'm Zachary Allard. You can find me at Zachary underscore Allard on Twitter.
0: And this has been Shitty Christians. Thanks, as always, for listening, guys. If I could ask you to do two things as you go, it's dismantle capitalism from the ground up and rate and review us on iTunes. Thank you.